Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 313 of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Crani Line, an interview with Cristela Duma Gonet. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, if you really had any question in your mind about whether or not Lyme disease is a international crisis, you don't have to go any further than this podcast. We have a woman who grew up in Lyon, France, and she was bitten by ticks on a number of different occasions, including during a trip here to the U.S. She went back and was misdiagnosed despite having concrete evidence before her doctors, which unfortunately prevented her from receiving the treatment she needed for over two years. Rich, what I learned most from this guest is what she did to combat brain fog, her strokes and paralysis, regain her ability to walk, and get energy back in her life. She shares with everybody listening to this podcast episode exactly what she did to regain those parts of her life. Folks, this story does have a happy ending, and the happy ending is that this woman used her bad experiences to try to help other people. She started Crony Lime as an advocacy platform on Instagram and has put her in a position where she's testifying regularly before the French Senate. And she started a patient advocacy organization with our good friend, Laura Arnell. So folks, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to all of you Crony Lime. Hi, Christelle Dumagunet, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. I'm super frightened too. <laughs> well, um, we're really excited to have you here. And uh, hopefully by the end of our conversation together, you will you'll be less frightened of um, speaking to the good folks in the Tech Bootcamp community. I hope so. <laughs> so, uh, Christelle, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, your standing in the French Lyme community and, and just describe for us a little bit uh, about the work that you're doing with Crony Lyme and the work that you're doing with uh, Preface, the Patient Resource Facilitator Europe. I uh, created uh, uh, Crony Lyme uh, in uh, in 2000 uh, in 2017, I think, uh, because uh, I was sick and I knew I was sick. I was diagnosed just uh, the year before, and I discovered that uh, in France and uh, in many countries. Um, the Lyme doctors uh, who, who, who pretend to heal, uh, to cure Lyme disease, uh, were attacked uh, in France. So um, they were, uh, the day I, I stopped working, uh, there was a, a, a note from the medical council, you know, medical council is a dis disciplinary, disciplinary chamber for the doctors. And it was just a way, just the day, the very day I fall down. And uh, that note was saying uh, the Lyme doctors who pretend to treat Lyme disease are charlatans. And uh, also chronic Lyme disease doesn't exist. So I was just uh, uh, destroyed, you know. So I was sick. It was complicated. I had a doctor uh, and my doctor was in danger uh, to be attacked, to be suspended. You know, you're not uh, anymore a doctor. Uh, in France, it's just like that. So... I had two choices, uh, stay in my bed <laughs> and do nothing and hope for uh, I don't know what. Uh, but I think I'm not like that. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a hyperactive person, I think. So uh, I was in my bed, but I decided to, to create um, an organization uh, called Chronoline. And I uh, co-created uh, it with my, uh, with my husband, Bertrand which is uh, who is a, a very important person to, to me. 
and uh, and we decided to defend the doctors and to go to um, uh, the assembly, the national assembly, you know, with the MPs in France in Paris, and uh, to see and contact the senators uh, because I, I had um, I had made some studies uh, in politics, so it was my little. Uh, little object of interest, and my and my husband uh, was working uh, for uh, the government uh, years ago. So it was just the only thing we knew that uh, we could do a little thing, uh, go to the MPs and the senators and tell them uh, it was a huge crisis. So, Krista, let's 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 build this out a little bit so that the folks understand the context in which you're working. And so, on the day that you're diagnosed with Lyme disease or around the time that you're diagnosed with Lyme disease, you discover that the uh, that the doctor who was helping you, the first doctor, and we're gonna build this out together, but the first doctor who was helping you treat your Lyme disease uh, was under attack. Yeah. And, and he was he was called a charlatan. <laughs> and uh, and he was um, he was accused of of diagnosing with the disease, chronic Lyme disease, something that did not exist. And you were That's you were it. brought into you you were triggered into action. You and your husband to create an organization to protect people like the good doctor who finally diagnosed you. And we're going to talk about this in a minute after many years of being misdiagnosed. Yeah. So let's before we, before we move forward, let's talk a little bit about Lyme disease in France because although the position clearly is chronic Lyme disease does not exist. How many people are currently suffering from chronic Lyme disease in France? And how many people are being diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease each year in France? Well, uh, we don't have the, the right numbers. Uh, the, the patient associations uh, think that there, there are uh, 300,000 people uh, with severe Lyme, with a chronic Lyme and severe Lyme, severe, so severe form of the sickness. Um, but uh, I think there, there is more uh, because uh, it's just the people um, that diagnosed or, uh, or whatever. But I think there are a lot of people uh, who don't know what they have, uh, just like fibromyalgia and so on, EM, uh, SFC. Uh, I said, yeah, I don't know the, the right uh, the right word in English, but uh, the government just uh, just says that uh, we are we have uh, 60, 60, 000, uh new cases per year. Uh, it's it means that uh, it's the people with a red mark uh, or uh, with positive tests or the two of them. But uh, if you if you just look at uh, look at the situation, uh, it, uh, uh, there is a lack of person of people. I, I think it's uh, it's much more than that, of course. So your so your patient organizations believe that it's approximately at least at least three hundred thousand people in uh, in France that are suffering from chronic Lyme disease, and that there are sixty thousand new diagnoses, at least people who are have a bullseye rash. And of course, those people disappear because there is no chronic Lyme disease in France, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have or they don't have uh, antibiotics and then it's okay. They are, they are cured. That's the doctors uh, who say that. So, Crystal, it's always important for us to speak with folks in the international community because even here in the U.S. where we have an epidemic of Lyme disease, there are folks uh, who believe 
that there is no Lyme, there is no chronic Lyme disease. And there are folks in certain regions of the US who believe that Lyme disease is just a, an East Coast disease, not a not a um, a national disease. And it's important, it's important for our folks to hear from voices like yours, where in France you have a crisis as well. And unfortunately, your government is dealing with or establishing official policy very much like the way the U.S. had traditionally established its official policy, where they are denying that people are chronically ill and they're denying that this disease can go from an acute phase to a chronic phase. The denial is the same in France. And it's funny because uh, it's the same thing in France. Uh, they think that uh, Lyme disease is in the east of the country. Um, so maybe it's the East. Uh, that's, uh, that's a problem. That's a big deal. I don't know. Uh, but it, it isn't true because uh, we have uh, patients, unfortunately, in the whole country, and uh, in Brittany and uh, in the west of uh, in the west of, in, in the west of France, and uh, we have uh, and it, we don't have an endemic uh, area. Uh, more than another, I think now. Even if it, the east, uh, the east is uh, much worse. So let's let's now talk about you and your background and your experiences before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. So you're currently living living in a city in Lyon, France, uh, but you grew up in the you grew up in the more rural or in the countryside of France. So talk to us about where you grew up and what your your experience was like as a child growing up in the French countryside. Uh, I was born and uh, raised uh, in Lyon. It's the second uh, city, the second big, big city in France. Uh, but I, uh, I was raised in the countryside uh, and uh, with a garden, with the forest and with the grass all over. And uh, I was riding horses uh, because uh, my father was uh, fond of horses. So he offered me... Um, uh, a horse for my uh, sixth uh, six birthday, I think. So I was uh, always outside uh, doing, uh, riding bicycle, riding horses, uh, playing uh, Indians and cowboys, you know. Uh, I was really uh, an outside child. Uh, so. So, so Christelle, one, one of the things we've learned on this podcast is that people who spend a lot of time outside are more likely to come in contact with ticks. But even more importantly, people who have contact with companion animals like dogs and cats and horses are more likely to come in contact with ticks. So when you were a child and you were spending time in the countryside and you were and you were um, you were riding horses and and you were an equestrian athlete, were you trained on how to protect yourself from coming in contact with ticks and tick diseases? Absolutely not. I wasn't aware, and my parents neither, uh, of uh, tick bites. Uh, I remember uh, having tick bites and ticks on the horses. Uh, uh, not on the cats, I think, but I, because I, I did have cats too. Uh, but we weren't aware at all of the problem. Uh, I didn't even know uh, the name of Lyme disease. Uh, I think I learned that uh, that uh, that word uh, when I was 35. 35 years old, uh, I, met, I met a guy who had Lyme disease and I said, what is that? So you said that you were bitten by ticks on a number of occasions during, during, the, during your youth. Um, what did you do when you found a tick on you? How did you remove it? And what steps did you take after you had a tick removed from you? Uh, 
I think uh, I think we use uh, you know alcohol and that's all. You you would just uh, pinch it and uh, put it away. That's uh, that wasn't a big deal. I absolutely don't remember uh, being scared of uh, having a, a, a referred protocol or so or so on. On how many different occasions do you remember having found ticks biting you on your body prior to your Lyme diagnosis? Well, um, in my uh, in my history, uh, doctors assumed that I had uh, uh, at at least uh, three tick bites. Uh, so maybe when I, when I was young uh, with my horses, and uh, because I don't remember, I, I got to be sick at uh, 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 when I was twenty two years old. Uh, but then I uh, went uh, in your country uh, in Connecticut with an, an RV, you know. Just like Laura, it's the same story. So it's so funny, uh, and um, but it's not funny. And we so went, let's uh, let, let's pause that for a second. So one one of the, one of the person you're referencing is uh, Lauren Arnell, who is one of our one of our past French guests and who is a a, a well known Lyme author and an activist in um, in um, in France and in Germany. And uh, and she is actually she is actually a co creator with you of. Um, Preface, which is the patient resource facilitator in Europe, correct? Absolutely, and she's a friend of mine. Yeah, we work together. And uh, the funny thing is that uh, we have the same the same story uh, because I, I went to to old line, you know, with uh, my LV and my brother and my. And why, why did why why did you why did you come to uh, Connecticut? I don't know. <laughs> Just an inspiration. I, I uh, camped uh, around like, uh, Old Lyme and uh, we went to uh, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island and uh, Massachusetts and uh, we, were, um, we were camping uh, in the nature. And, How old uh, were you then, uh, Crystal, when you, when you came to Connecticut? Uh, near Old Lyme, because I, uh, after that, years later, I uh, looked at the photos. It was in, uh, in uh, 2003, and uh, I looked at the photos, and we were just, just, in, in, uh, just close to Old Lyme. So yes. what, yes. When, you, when you came to the U.S. in 2003, and you were camping outside, do you remember having been bitten by ticks? No, absolutely not. Uh, but uh, I uh, came back very sick, uh, very, very sick, just, uh, just like uh, the story uh, Laura wrote in her book. Uh, I was in a, in a white fog. I had a fever. Uh, I was uh, dizzling. I, I, I was completely uh, exhausted. And uh, when I came back to France, I stayed in my, in my bed uh, during... Uh, Two weeks, I remember, and then I didn't recover. So I, uh, I suppose there was something. And uh, after that, uh, we supposed that I, I'd been, uh, uh, I had a tick bite because uh, it was the only explanation uh, to the to this sickness. And the third, uh, and the third time, uh, it was in uh, two, tw how do you say, two thousand oh eight. Two thousand eight, uh, yes. Yeah, and it was in Beaujolais. Uh, you know Beaujolais, the wine. Uh, it's uh, an area uh, near Lyon. It's uh, it's famous for for its wine, red wine. And uh, I had a, a rash uh, this time, so I went to the chemist, 
and said, "What is that? I had a, I had fever. I was uh, I wasn't I was I wasn't feeling well." Uh, and the chemist uh, told me, "It's a spider bite. Uh, so don't do anything. Just just uh, here's a cream uh, for a, a spider bite, and it's okay." So I didn't do anything, and uh, and. Uh, one year later, uh, one year or two, I had the first, uh, the first uh, TIA, you know, transient ischemic attack. Yeah. So let's 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 pause there for a second and let's let's talk a little bit about what you were doing at the time that you had um, that you had gotten sick. So you said that you 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 began to get sick, chronically sick when you were 22 years old, which is at the end of your college career, correct? Yeah, I was uh, studying politics at this time. Okay. And I was hyperactive uh, before that. I, I was doing a lot of sports. Uh, I was uh, I I was healthy, I think, and I and I have a lot of uh, energy. So uh, suddenly, uh, suddenly after um, I had three surgeries in a row, you know, in one year uh, for the ankle because uh, I had an accident, and uh, I didn't recover uh, after the surgeries. Just like uh, it was bad for me, or uh, so it became difficult in my studies. Uh, I had to to I had to to stop uh, for two months uh, studying, and it was uh, kind of difficult. But uh, but day after day, I recover a little, uh, and then I had. Uh, I, I, uh, I got pregnant because I got pregnant when I was 23, 23, yeah. And uh, I had two pregnancies uh, in uh, 1998 and, uh, and 2000. Uh, and uh, I didn't recover uh, after the pregnancies, you know, it was so difficult for me. I was, uh, I was weak. Uh, my arms were, were weak, uh, my body was weak. And I had a, a pain all over the body, and it was unexplainable. Uh, so I uh, I decided to. That's that's the moment I um, I began uh, my journey, you know, to the doctors. <laughs> I think uh, I so, saw a lot of doctors. There, there was one other issue that um, that I, I did want to talk with you about, which is um, is so you had a series of different immunocompromising events. So you had you had the the, the surgeries that were um, that were immunocompromising. And then you I, I also understand that you had uh, had a vaccination for hepatitis. Talk yeah. to us about the vaccination and what impact that had on your health decline. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I forgot it. Yeah. The very uh, the very beginning of uh, of the sickness for me uh, was the, the B hepatitis, yeah, vaccination. Uh, you're right. Uh, I wasn't the same after that. I never, uh, I never be the same after that. Uh, you can't say now I'm healthy. I'm always super active and hyperactive, but I, uh, I'm 50% of what I was before. Um, uh, I, I was never tired. Uh, before that and uh and that was the beginning yeah to be so so christelle you, you you've had a, you've had you've had a couple of things that you just outlined for us so you have at least three separate occasions when you're bitten by a tick mm. 
the tick bite that you suffered in Connecticut caused you to be physically ill for several weeks. You also had a tick bite when you were in wine country in the France, which also caused you to have a bullseye rash, which um, you said it was a chemist here in the US, we would call it a pharmacist, gave you a cream and told you that it was a spider bite rather than unfortunately a doctor diagnosing it with Lyme disease. And then you had a series of immunocompromising events. You had, uh, you had a, a, an ankle injury, that required three surgeries, and you had a you had a uh, reaction to the hepatitis B shot. Now all of this comes together for you, and now you become chronically ill. You went from being a hardworking, a, a hardworking student and athlete who has now become chronically ill over a very short mm -hmm. period of time. Now you, you you began to talk to us about now your TIA. So can you talk to us about your headaches and now ultimately how your going from uh, from having uh, symptomatic headaches to now having a seizure? Yeah. Um, the first time, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was in uh, uh, 2010, 2010, uh, just two years, uh, one or two years uh, after the tick bite. Uh, and then it was uh, terrifying because uh, I thought I was going to die. Uh, because I, uh, I I had a paralysis, uh, left side paralysis, uh, and uh, and my brain doesn't uh, doesn't work, didn't work anymore. You know, just like a, a bug, but a very long bug. And uh, I got to the hospital uh, in emergency, uh, but they didn't find uh, didn't find anything. But after that uh it uh, it came back and uh, i had a, a lot of incidents like that and uh, one day i uh, i did a mri yeah a brain mri and uh, and they and they saw uh white matter what my white matter signals you know lesions on the brain a lot of them and one uh, was on the left ventricle so uh, they, they were hesitating with uh, MS, uh, multiple sclerosis, and uh, hesitating with uh, uh, migraines, uh, which, is the same, which is the same thing, but uh, that's the thing. Uh, Lyme disease uh, diagnostic, uh, diagnosis is very, uh, is very weird uh, because you hesitate with uh, such different things. So, Christelle, you, you are having you are having a long series of neurological symptoms between the time that you first had your early experiences and then the time when you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. um, and that and and in your journey, your your journey between uh, between your first symptoms and your um, and your diagnosis um, was uh, how many years? Uh, I was 22 years old for the first symptoms, and I was diagnosed. I was uh, uh, 42, so 20 right. years. So you have 20 years of, of, of progressing neurological symptoms mm. between the time that you had your first symptoms and the time that you had ultimately uh, been diagnosed. Now, how many doctors did you see in that 20-year window between your first symptoms and then your diagnosis? I really don't know. I think uh, 
I don't know, a hundred doctors, I think, because I went to, to, to so many doctors, uh, many, maybe a hundred. Um, and, and I understand you had collected your medical records and you had over 500 pages of medical records with different diagnoses during that 20 year period. Yeah, as uh, as all the, the the Lyme patients, I have a, a very huge file. And you know, when you go to the doctor with your file, you 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 you're you're out able to 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 lift it, you know, to carry it. <laughs> so that's uh, that's that's kind of funny. Um, but uh, the thing is, um, in um, in two thousand fourteen. Uh, I had a, an, a, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, a big one, a very big one. Uh, I was, um, I went to the hospital in emergency, and you know, in the room uh, with uh, when you chuck somebody who is dying, you know, all the guys were dying just around me. It was horrible, you know, when you chuck the, the person with the hurt, you know. Yes. I, I don't know the right word, but uh, so it was, uh, it was uh, scaring. And um, I just had the MRI. I knew uh, I had some uh, lesions in the brain, but uh, my appointment with the neuro neurologist wasn't, uh, it, was, it was after, after that. So I didn't go yet to, to, the, to the neurologist. And... Um, I went in a neurologic hospital. Uh, it's a big one. It's a big hospital. It's a big French hospital. And they did a spinal tap, you know. Uh, it was horrible, uh, by the way, because uh, I couldn't move uh, uh, by uh, a fortnight. <laughs> I couldn't uh, uh, because I had a post-syndrome spinal tap. I don't know what it's called. Okay. Yeah. And... and uh, and all my, all my tests, uh, my blood tests, uh, my spinal tap were positive. It was, uh, it was written in my file, neuroborreliosis, positive. Okay, so let's, let's pause there for a second. So, you, so in 2014, you, you go for a spinal tap after a TIA, and the doctors, or at least the medical records indicate that you are positive for Lyme disease and, and they diagnose you with neuroborreliosis, uh, <laughs> right? Neurolyme, neurolyme. Neurolyme. So let, before we get there, and this is, a, I know this is a very, very important part of your story, but I want you to pause there and let's look backward now to the 20 years, um, or I guess at that, that time, it was probably about uh, 17 years or 18 years of, of treatment. How many different diagnoses did you get from the 100 doctors that you had seen in the 18 year period prior to the spinal tap? Uh, the major uh, diagnosis I got was a uh, fibromyalgia. So this isn't a diagnosis uh, because uh, it doesn't mean anything. It's a syndrome. So, and it's, uh, uh, it's, said, it's said that it's in the head. Uh, Nobody, nobody accused me of, uh, of not being sick or uh, that was in my head, but uh, I understood that uh, that diagnosis was nothing. It couldn't help me. Uh, so I chose to ignore it. I, I, I knew it wasn't that. 
So I, I think there's two different ways of looking at fibromyalgia. I think one way of looking at fibromyalgia is to, is to essentially um, serve as a diagnosis that convicts the medical community of failure, right? They, they believe you have symptoms, but they don't know why you have the symptoms. Mm. So they're just essentially confessing that they have failed and they don't know uh, mm. what's wrong with you, right? An easy diagnosis, I, I should say. Right. So it's so, or another way of looking at, uh, at fibromyalgia is that what they're saying is you have symptoms, but they're, you know, but they're in your head, right? It's, 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 it's a disorder, not a disease. There's no connection between your symptoms and any, any, any um, process in your body. So one way or the other, it's either, Hey, we failed and there's nothing we can do for you, or there's really nothing wrong with you. You're just symptomatic with that without any real basis of your symptoms. I was in the first case uh, because um, I was uh, um, I was taking care of my children uh, alone uh, because I divorced uh, in uh, 2002, and um, I was working a lot, and I had uh, I had uh, great positions, you know, in healthcare, and uh, I think. Uh, so I was working in a healthcare system, you know, so um, doctors wouldn't, wouldn't tell me uh, you're not sick, it's in your head. Nobody uh, never told me that. Uh, so it's the first case. Uh, they said, uh, we can't do anything for you. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, rheumatologist, yeah, Rheum rheumatologist, uh, who told me um, you have fibromyalgia and you're going to be horrible and your husband is going to leave you uh, one day. <laughs> so I remember I was crying just after that. He, he didn't say it was in my head, but he said I was, uh, I was going to, to, to become something, some, somebody uh, very naughty, ugly and terrible. So it was, it was difficult. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that and that doctor really needs to get a couple of slaps after saying something so rude. But you know, that's that's uh, I, I guess we can we can we can we can pivot off of beating up doctors for a moment and now talk about 2014. So in 2014, a little bit, I guess maybe we're going to beat up doctors a little bit more now. In 2014, um, you have um, you have a seizure, uh, you have an MRI, you go for a very painful procedure where where you have a spinal tap. The spinal tap uh, then is is the, the the fluids are analyzed, and when the um, and when the the flu the fluids are analyzed, you have you have a, a diagnosis of neurological Lyme, but no, no, no. No, but you no, never no. no one tells you. No no no. Guess what? Uh, they didn't uh, they, they didn't um, they didn't tell me I had. Uh, Neurolyme, and they didn't think I had Neurolyme, uh, even if uh, the, the, the lab uh, would, would write it, it's written, because I got the file, I, I got the medical file two years uh, later, later, sorry, uh, because I asked for my uh, medical file. In France, uh, there is a law, uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you can ask for your medical file, and you should have it. So two years later, uh, I was dying of Lyme disease, really dying. I, uh, I, uh, I lost uh, 25 pounds. I, I lost my hair. I was, uh, I was dying. 
uh, and I had uh, a dozen uh, TIA after that. Okay, uh, so let's 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 pause here for a second again. So we have we have a positive test in 2014, mm -hmm. which is never provided to you. So in 2014, when you had the seizure and you had all the tests, did you leave the hospital with a diagnosis? Did they diagnose you with something or you left without any diagnosis at all? Absolutely not. I didn't have a, a diagnosis. They just told me I had a, a, some uh, migraine, atypical migraine, uh, neurological migraine, and, uh, and, that's, and that's all. So you were diagnosed with a migraine condition, a, 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 a neurological migraine or headache condition. And now you spend two years between 2014 and 2016 suffering from mm -hmm. neurological Lyme disease. And you're, you just described it as you were dying, right? You were getting sicker and sicker. And you were to the point where your hair had fallen out. You were unable to work. You were just you were, you were having seizure after seizure after seizure, but you hadn't been treating the Lyme yeah. disease because despite it being, despite the Lyme um, bacteria being discovered when they tested the spinal fluids, that information was never given to you and you were never giving, given any treatment. No, I didn't have any treatment. I had the MRI, which was positive with a, a, a num numerous uh, white matter signals. I had anosmia. Uh, it's it it it's uh, uh, during three years. Uh, I had anosmia. I couldn't smell anything. Just like in long COVID, it's very interesting, uh, by the way. Uh, and it's uh, it's in the liter literature uh, that in your line you could have anosmia. So I had anosmia. Uh, the MRI. Uh, I was I, I had the paralysis. Uh, at, uh, at that time, uh, it was uh, uh, transient, you know. Uh, uh, I wasn't paralyzed for a long time. Uh, so so you, you had transient paralysis where you were paralyzed sometimes yeah. and, then, and then you would regain function and then you'd have another seizure and become short, uh, paralyzed for some time and then you'd regain, you, you would yeah. regain um, your, your faculties. That's not that's not uh, the way it is now because uh, we will discuss it later. But now I had an hemiplegia and then I'm uh, I'm uh, disabled now. Okay, but so let, let's at that gonna, time, Matt's going to talk with you about that in a minute. Let's 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 talk about how what was happening between 2014 and 2016 because this is really outrageous. Where your 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 body was being attacked, your health was declining. You weren't getting any care at all for that two-year period of time. But the test that you took in 2014 definitively demonstrated that you had Lyme disease. You had neurological Lyme disease. Yeah, it was a uh, neuroline for um, the beginners, as uh, said my doctor. <laughs> it was a neuroline, uh, very uh, simple, uh, simple to 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 diagnose. Uh, so uh, in that two years, uh, I declined uh, progressively. It was very difficult, uh, difficult period. Uh, that's the time I, uh, I met my husband. I met my husband in, uh, in uh, 2012, something like that. So he was there and I thank him a lot because uh, uh, he was helping me with uh, the work, uh, with the children. 
you know, I went to the, I went working. I remember it was uh, 20 minutes to go to work by car. And I was um, making a pause on the middle of the trip to, to sleep in my car, uh, to sleep in my car. And during the, the lunch, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't eat. I would uh, sleep in my car too, even if the winter, because I was too tired. I couldn't. Uh, and the thing I want to say is that uh, the denial of uh, Lyme disease is our denial because um, I'm a hyperactive woman. I'm, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm very strong. So uh, if, you, if, you, if, if you are told that you are not sick, really, uh, so you don't believe it, uh, you believe you're not sick and you, you, you just act uh, the way you act, you continue uh, to work and to do something. And that's uh, a huge error, a huge mistake I made. I so, think. so Christelle, let's 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 focus on that for a second. I, I want you to put now on your um, on your political scientist hat. You you studied political science in college, and then you worked in a number of uh, important governmental positions, including in in healthcare um, in France. Mm -hmm. Let's first first focus on the official governmental policy in France at the time that you had um, enough information or your doctors had enough information to diagnose you with neural Lyme but refused to do that. Do you believe that in 2014, the reason the doctors didn't diagnose you with Lyme disease is because there was an official government policy that Lyme disease did not exist and that doctors were afraid to give you the diagnosis that you actually had from the spinal tap? It's a very interesting question, and I asked myself uh, that because it's a very interest, interesting question. In 2006, uh, we had in France, uh, we, we call it a consensus. Uh, it's just like a law, a medical law. And uh, it was saying uh, something of uh, online disease. Uh, then chronic Lyme doesn't exist, okay, but you, you, you have to, to get antibiotics uh, with a, a Lyme disease uh, on the beginning, and it was written. And uh, my condition, neural Lyme, with a lesion uh, on MRI, uh, anosmia, and so on, it, it was written on this consensus, uh, on this medical law. But, um, you know, when you don't want uh, to look for something, you don't find it. Uh, so I think it was more than, a, um, you know, uh, an ambience, an atmosphere uh, in, the medical, uh, in, in the medical staff not to look for uh, Lyme disease. Okay, so let's, let's stop there for a second. So on the macro, we have the politicization of healthcare. Where there's, where there's a government policy that a particular disease does not exist. And because you have an official government policy that a, that a disease does not exist, your feeling is that the healthcare workers are not looking for something that they're told doesn't exist. Mm. But uh, that is uh, just under uh, their eyes. Uh, okay. And so, in, it, the, in it, the medical law, uh, if you just follow it, I would have been uh, treated. It's a mistake. Uh, and they told me it was a mistake years later. Okay. But it, was, so, it was too late. So, well, 
So, so you're saying that. So, what what I don't understand is you're you're you're, you're arguing here, and I, so I want to challenge you on this. You're arguing that because there was a, an official policy that it didn't exist, they were not looking for it. But if they were not looking for it, how did they find it and put it in your medical records if it was something they weren't looking for? Because I think <laughs> I think there's a difference between not looking for something and not seeing something that's there and not treating it. I think uh, it's incompetence, yeah. Incompetence. Incompetence. I think it's incompetence. Uh, on the part of your doctors or on the part of the government? Because because I, I do want to get to the second point you were making. And the second point you were making is because you were, to- you were not told about your diagnosis and you were told there's nothing wrong with you, in your own head, you didn't believe it. So I'm, I, I think there's a connection between a government politicizing or making political healthcare decisions, which then put us in a position where we're not given the information, or that then puts us in a position where we ourselves do not even believe it exists. So when a government policy says something that doesn't exist, it puts us in a position where we don't think it exists in our own mind. I think they don't have a lot of answers uh, to, to, to Lyme disease. And even if uh, in, uh, in 2014, um, they didn't have uh, answers and uh, it was easier. Um, it wasn't a mistake because they told me it was a mistake uh, years later, but I don't think it was a mistake. And I, and I, and I, and I said that uh, it was uh, an idea, you know, they were narrow-minded uh, uh, because in the political, in, in the policy, uh, in the governmental policy, uh, I I had near Lyme, so uh, it was it was some incompetence. It was I don't I don't really know. For, for, well, so I, I mean, for of course, we're never we're never going to know why it was in your chart and you weren't treated for it, right? We don't know that, uh, but but there are a number of different factors that we can identify. Some of it, which is the policy. Um, of the of the French government at the time. Part of it is the policies that the healthcare workers were following. And part of it was the culture that you were working in because you weren't you weren't permitted to be um, an informed patient. You weren't partnering with your doctors because your doctors weren't inviting you to be a partner. So you didn't even you didn't even have your medical records for another two years. And, and no. let's look at this. You're you're an educated woman who is who is who is um, working in the healthcare field in the very government that that is now establishing this policy. So it's not it's it's not like you weren't a capable person, but you are not permitted to be a partner in your in your treatment. Maybe the doctor uh, I saw, the neurologist I saw, was really incompetent. That's uh, I'm going to tell you a story just just after that. But uh, imagine in France, the doctors were told that Lyme disease was, is rare, very rare, you know? But rare, but no, uh, it, it's not a, a fierce medal, you know, uh, because uh, so, sometimes when, when a sickness is rare, you are a brave doctor, you know, to diagnose it. And it's very, it's, uh, you, you're, you're higher than the others, right. but not with it, it, Lyme disease. Right, so you, you, can, you can gain status in the medical community by finding a unique diagnosis in most cases, but with Lyme disease, because it's been politicized, you actually are afraid to make this diagnosis, which in most cases should cause your status to rise because yeah. you, you've made a special diagnosis. Yeah, 
I think that's it. But so the, the funny story, but it, it's not it's not very story. It's it's not very funny. Sorry. Uh, two years later, when I was really dying, and I met that doctor, uh, uh, she became a friend. She she is a she, uh, and she saved my life. Uh, really, uh, she she took my file, my file with the the the, the five hundred pages. And she, and she said, uh, go and get your file at the hospital because I need the file. I need to understand what was in the spinal, in the spinal tap and so on. So I, uh, I called uh, the administration of the hospital. And you know, you have this law, you, you, you can uh, get your medical file. So I asked for my file. And then I, I, waited, I waited for uh, uh, some days. And uh, I got a call, a very strange call. A phone call. I was at my pharmacist, so it, it was just, uh, um, it was with me when I, I got this phone call. Uh, it was my neurologist. The neurologist I had in, uh, 20, in, um, in 2014. Yes. And she was, she was saying, hello, uh, uh, how are you? Uh, I know you, you asked for your medical file. Uh, yes, uh, I did. Well, uh, you're not ill, you know, you're not sick, you don't have a Lyme disease, uh, so uh, it's not used to, to, to get your file. I said, uh, yes, I want my file. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I know I had Neurolyme uh, because I, I have a doctor who told me that, so I just want my file. No, no, you don't have a... Well, it took uh, one or two minutes and then she understood uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't go away. I, and I would get my medical file, and it's the law. So she changed the tone. Absolutely changed uh, the tone of the, co the the conversation. And she said, "Yes, uh, okay. You got uh, Neuroline. Yeah, you have Neuroline, and you have to go to the hospital quickly to take antibiotics." I said, "What? Uh, no, no, but that's okay. I don't go to the hospital. I have my doctor, and I, yes, yes, but you have to go to the hospital. You know, she changed her mind because she, because she knew she had made a mistake, uh, and I think it's not a mistake. I think uh, just like you, you said, it's a culture. It's a, a, a narrow-minded culture, you know, and uh, it was absolutely weird. And the pharmacist was with, was just with the mouth." wow <laughs> it's impossible because he got Lyme disease too so he was interested in my case and the neurologist I think she is definitely an incompetent person competent doctor but she's not alone she's not alone Christelle I have to question again I know we're kind of really focusing on this topic but was she wrong or was there something else there because you had 100% definitive neurological Lyme disease from your spinal tap. You then ask for your records. She challenges you and says, you don't need your medical records. You're not sick, you're fine. And then the more you push her, she says, okay, fine, I'll give you your records, but you are really sick. You have chronic Lyme, go to the hospital to get antibiotics. So you're going from you're fine to this is an emergency, go to the hospital. So I don't know that she was wrong, there seems to be something deeper here, like this, this, this whole recognition of chronic Lyme. And frankly, my opinion is she didn't want to deal with it. Many doctors here in the United States, when Lyme comes up, especially late stage or chronic Lyme, they don't want anything to do with it because it's so controversial, right? So do you think that that was part of what was going on with your neurologist is 
she didn't want to be bothered by you or your illness because you had this controversial disease? Uh, I'm not sure uh, because in uh, in 2014 it wasn't as such as contro- controversial as uh, uh, two years later because uh, in July uh, in 2016 uh, in France we had uh, a call from a uh, hundred doctors a hundred Lyme doctors uh, in a very huge um, newspaper and it was the really beginning of the the great great polemic the great controversial uh, of Lyme disease uh, but two years before I'm not sure I think you know um, this neurologist, I uh, I met her the first time two years ago in 2012, when I had a TIA, and she didn't she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't propose to me an MRI, and I think she was wrong, uh, so I think she she was <laughs> incompetent. Uh, she was very wrong. I mean, you're having many strokes, right? TIAs are yeah. many strokes, and she yeah. refuses to do an MRI to see what's going on and why you're having them. And then she denies your chronic Lyme disease when you have chronic Lyme based on your spinal tap, which is a definitive diagnosis. So I know we're focusing on this. It's just very frustrating to hear this. And I'm sorry, Christelle, that you've had to go through this and get your treatment and diagnosis delayed so much. But let's focus on your ultimate diagnosis. You now demand your records, you get your records. What doctor are you treating with? And what is your plan moving forward once you realize I have neurological Lyme disease? Uh, so I met uh, that that doctor. She, she is a Lyme doctor. Uh, they don't want to, to be called like that, but uh, that's the only, <laughs> the only way to call them. Uh, because they were uh, treating Lyme disease uh, despite the, the policy, the government policy. They, they wanted to, to cure people. Uh, so I met her uh, by coincidence. Uh, if you do believe in coincidences or if you do believe in something else. Um, she, she met my husband and my husband was, uh, was questioning everybody. Uh, my wife is dying. She's really, really sick. And uh, he was, uh, he was uh, telling to all the people he was meeting. And then he met that doctor and uh, he, um, he put the story on the table. And uh, the doctor said, uh, did, she, did she have a tick bite? Uh, it's just like that, you know? And she, she just, uh, she just uh, shows uh, the rash to my husband. And so we came back to the house. Uh, Honey, did you have a, a rash just like that? Oh, yes, it was my spider, spider tick bite. It wasn't a spider bite. <laughs> it was just like that. Then I realized that the spider bite uh, was a tick bite. And then uh, maybe uh, I could be sick for years uh, because of that. Uh, it's later that we would uh, think of the the old Lyme journey, the old Lyme trip, you know, to Connecticut, I would uh, rebuild uh, the story, the whole story, because uh, it's just like um, you said uh, five minutes ago, I was educated, uh, I'm able to understand. It was just, I didn't get my story. I, I, have to, I had to, to rebuild the story, you know, uh, just like the lie to you uh, for years. Uh, it was very strange. So that doctor, uh, so she got, uh, she got my blood test. I, I made uh, other blood tests. Uh, 
all were highly positive and they are always highly positive. I'm a very positive woman, even in the, even in the blood samples. And uh, she got the record with the spinal tap and she said, uh, you are in high, uh, very great danger. So uh, I, I think I began uh, the rosefin, rosefin, you say? Correct, no. yep. IV, IV rosefin, the antibiotic. IV rosefin. Yep. Uh, I began the IV rosefin the day after. She, she wouldn't uh, wait for, for a long time because you know when you make uh, mini strokes, uh, you have the, the, the risk of uh, getting a, a real stroke uh, in, the three, in the three days after. So she wouldn't, uh, she wouldn't take the risk. So I began uh, antiparasitic and so on and antibiotics, uh, IV rosefin, uh, azithromycin and so on. And um, at the beginning, she, she told me, well, it's six months, you know, six months of antibiotics. Uh, I think you, you'll get better. But uh, it was uh, way more uh, difficult than that because I waited too long. And the message uh, to the people who are listening to us, it, it, you, 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 you shouldn't wait uh, because I waited too long. I was in denial. Uh, the doctors were in denial and uh, it was too long after a long time a lot of uh, a lot of symptoms uh, can be resolvent yeah can be resolvent resolved but, yeah a lot of symptoms can get better and be resolved yeah can get better but uh, uh, you don't you, you can't wait too long and in your case Cristal, it was about 20 years from the time you were 22 to the time you were 42 i believe for your mm -hmm. diagnosis, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, walk us through the testing. It's, I find it interesting that your Lyme doctor ran blood work, even though you had a positive Lyme test from a spinal tap, because a spinal tap diagnosis in many cases would be enough to initiate treatment by a Lyme leader doctor. So did your doctor also look for co-infections in addition to Lyme disease when you were tested? Yeah, she was looking for uh, co-infections. And uh, the funny thing too, uh, even if, if it's not funny at all, uh, in my spinal tap, uh, in France, you have a protocol, a very uh, stupid protocol. Uh, you, you know, you have ELISA test and you have Western blood test, West, Western blood test. In France, you should have a positive ELISA test to get a Western blood test. A Western blood test. You can't have a Western blood test uh, in in, in um, primary intention. Okay, so in the spinal tap, they had uh, they had just made ELISA test. So my doctor would, uh, and it's not in the consensus of 2006. Second mistake uh, because uh, they didn't apply the protocol. You know. So it was really, really uh, zero. <laughs> so Cristel, so, are you saying that because they didn't do an, an ELISA test first before the spinal tap, the spinal tap wasn't officially recognized? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, she, she, would, she would look for uh, co-infections, uh, right. But, uh, you know, it was a mistake of the hospital because we will see it later. But now when I go to the hospital, they don't treat me at all, <laughs> but uh, it's written 
Neuroline on my file at the hospital because the professor uh, told me, yes, we made a mistake. We should have, uh, we should have treated you. So the mistake was they should have treated you and recognized it, but because they didn't do the screening process before the spinal tap, it wasn't recognized, even though it's a very definitive test, the spinal tap. So they wanted you to do the ELISA test first, correct? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, here in the States, when it comes to the blood test side of things, it used to be where you would only get an ELISA test first. And then if you were positive for the screening, the ELISA, then you would have a Western blot. That's changed here in the States where most doctors will now do a Western blot, but some doctors still follow that outdated model, which I think you suffered from as well, unfortunately, throughout your journey. So Kalisal, talk to us more about the treatment, right? Your, your doctor tells you, she says to you, hey, within six months, I think I can get you better. You go on IV antibiotics, thurocephin, and you also mentioned antiparasitics as well. So what antiparasitics were you on? If you could just give us an idea of what medication specifically you were taking during the first six months you were treating chronic Lyme disease. In fact, she treated me for two years uh, without a therapeutic window, as we call it in France. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, it, if it's the same word in English. Uh, because at each, uh, each time she would stop the antibiotics uh, for uh, four or five days, I was falling down again uh, very, very uh, quickly. So um, I had a, a lot of uh, Alzheimer uh, reactions, but uh, the, the moment she would stop antibiotics uh, in the first two years, I was uh, having a, a TAA mini strokes again. It was really, it was um, a battle with time, you know, um, during this moment. So the, the antibiotics were stopping the mini strokes. Yeah. But when you go off the antibiotics, they'd come right back. Yeah, absolutely. It was right clear. So I'm taking that as the antibiotics were suppressing Lyme and other bacterial infections possibly that were causing the mini strokes. And as soon as you stopped that bacterial infection would come back up and cause the mini strokes again. Is that what you think was happening? Yeah, I, I don't really know what, uh, what happened. Uh, we, we were looking for uh, nowadays uh, uh, what is going on in the brain and so on. Uh, I think IV uh, rocephine uh, is the, the antibiotic that uh, that is the best the best for me because uh, I could uh, I could think clearly again um, I could uh, talk uh, because uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't speak English uh, I'm not very good at English but at that time I wasn't able to speak English no French <laughs> it was complicated I was looking for my words. Uh, I couldn't speak because I was too tired to speak. You know, uh, I think you know that that uh, that sensation, that feeling, you're yes. too tired to speak. But you were not able to speak French or English, and you were having constant strokes. But the IV rocephin gave you the ability to think, speak, and not have these mini strokes, right? Which is really yeah. powerful. And I want to just highlight that here you are on an American English podcast sharing your story. And you're speaking English very well. I mean, you're, you're explaining these things very well. So to hear that you couldn't speak your native language 
French, never mind English. And here you are today is just such a cool transformation that Rich is going to get to. But that made me a little excited. I wanted to share that with you in the audience to just say how <laughs> happy I am to see the progress you've made here, Christelle, since you know you first got sick and diagnosed. <laughs> but walk us through more of this two-year window. So what else, you know, you talked about the IV rocephin and the antibiotics. What were these what were these antiparasitics you were taking? Were you doing any herbs? And what else were you doing throughout this two-year window to treat Lyme in addition to the antibiotics? I think I, uh, I tasted uh, all the methods. Uh, I think the only method I didn't test is uh, bioresonance, you know. But uh, I had so many different uh, antibiotics uh, to... Thank you for the for the compliment in English, but uh, you you know I had uh, six months of uh, IV recephin to 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 be able to speak to you. Uh, it wasn't uh, six months uh, in a row; it was uh, months by months. Uh, so it's been six years. Yeah, I've been diagnosed, so I had uh, I think uh, one month per per year. Uh, uh, to, to, to be able to speak. Uh, so, um, Christelle, I'm sorry to interrupt, but before you go on about the other thing, I just want to clarify that with the antibiotics. So at, f- at first you were on antibiotics for a consecutive period of time when you first got diagnosed six years ago. Is that correct? It's like I, six uh, months straight or was it, was it always, you know, one month and then nothing. And then one month. No, for- no, 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 no. It's, it was one month of, uh, of recipient. And then I took a uh, back trim, uh, I took uh, azithromycin. I took uh, uh, cefuroxime. I don't know doxy. You you have doxy. Doxycycline, uh, rocephin, okay. ceftriaxone. It, yep, is that? And you, I think you said artemisia. Is that is that the herb? Sweet. This is. I believe that's sweet wormwood. Is that what you're saying? No, azithromycin is an antibiotic. Okay. Uh, azithro, az, uh, azithromax maybe. Oh, Zithromax, yes. Okay. Gotcha. No, the two the two first years, uh, I was uh, I, I I got antibiotics without uh, pause because, uh, as I said, uh, each time the doctor were uh, making a pause, I uh, I was declining, so uh, she wouldn't <laughs> she 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 wouldn't uh, try to try to pause a long time, so she, so I would go on antibiotic uh, again uh, after two years. Uh, of antiparasitics, antifungals, uh, antibiotics, and so on, I was better. But um, it was in uh, 2018. Uh, I was declared uh, by the government on, uh, how do you say, disabled. uh, Disability, uh, yeah, disabled. And I, I didn't choose that uh, because, you know, I, uh, I had great jobs. I was, uh, I loved my job. didn't want to be uh, disabled, like in disability, I didn't want. So um, it was very, how do you say, very brutal, very harsh. Uh, One summer uh, in 2018, it's been uh, nine months, uh, I wouldn't work, just nine months, uh, and because I was uh, very sick. And uh, they uh, they would give me an appointment to go, Okay, so I uh, I come to to the doctor of the uh, it's a medic it's an official official legal doctor you know of the government, and uh, he said you're too sick, you j- we stop now. I said we stop what? <laughs> you stop. You don't uh, you don't ab- you you are not able to work anymore. 
So you're 44 years old and uh, you have two great, uh, great uh, children. Uh, well, you just, you just stop, okay? So you go to the social worker, uh, you, you go out to the, the office and you go to the social worker. Uh, she's, gonna, she's gonna take care of you and your papers and so on. And you know, I was in charge uh, in my job of uh, hundreds of people. And <laughs> I would send them to the social worker, you know, sometimes. But that time, it was me. <laughs> Go to the social worker and then uh, you're nothing. You don't work anymore. So it was so harsh. Uh, the very evening, I had a mini stroke, uh, a great one, a huge one, uh, because it was so, so difficult, you know. You can't say people, uh, you can't say people things just that way. So it's sorry. Total, uh, in the whole, the whole scale, you know, <laughs> in the healthcare system, in the, in the government, in the legal system. Uh, so that was it. Uh, 44 years old, I wouldn't work again. So, I'm so, I'm so sorry, Christelle, but the good news is you were getting a little bit better, right? You were making some progress with the antibiotics. And after being on the the rocephin followed up by all the other antibiotics and being on the antiparasitics. It sounds like when that kind of subsided after that first two-year window, you now do one month of IV rocephin every year. Is that what you said earlier, Christa? Yeah, uh, uh, almost. Yeah, approximately. And does that keep you feeling good enough? Is that just sort of like a boost to keep you quite, you know, at the, at, you know, feeling good, so you don't you don't backslide and get worse. Is that why you're doing that? Uh, I do that uh, because of the of the paralysis. Because um, so uh, we are in 2016. So I take ivirocephine and antibiotics, antiparasitics, antifungals. Then we are in 2017, and the 26 uh, 26th of October. Uh, 2017, uh, I fall down at office. Really, you know, killed at the uh, killed at the at the battle. You know, <laughs> that's it. I wouldn't uh, see the board. Uh, I was uh, presenting some uh, um, some financial financial uh, sheets. I don't remember what, uh, and I I wouldn't be able to to look at the board. I I wouldn't see anything. You know, I I I had a, a blood vision. Uh, I wasn't hearing uh, people uh, anymore. I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't hear, and um, I had the lumbago, you know, so uh, so huge. I was uh, just like that at at the, at the office, and then I took my car and, and I went to a meeting. You I drove left. after that. I drove because you know denial. I drove after that. I, so you uh, you you get you got you let it come back and then you got in the car and left. No, yeah. The problem is I would uh, uh, I would um, I had um, uh, you know when you have passengers on the road, I would uh, I I would uh, kill them. You know, I was very afraid of that because so this this time. Uh, it was uh, too much for me, too, too much. So I went to the meeting. I was very frightened because uh, I had those people I could kill with my car. And then I lose, <laughs> I lose my car. I didn't know where it, it was parked, you know? 
I didn't recognize the people at the meeting. I, I was uh, so I called my husband and I said, uh, "It's the end. I can't do anymore. I sh I should have uh, killed uh, people with the car, and I don't know where is my car." And I was crying. And you know, the doctor uh, would say uh, every month uh, you have to stop working. You have to stop working because you have IV recipient, you have antibiotics. You 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 should. Stop stop working because it's too much for you but i was in denial you know uh, so it was complicated but that very day i i called my husband i said it's the end i i should have uh, i i should um i could have killed somebody and my husband said so that's the reason you want to stop working just other people but don't not you <laughs> he was horrified but that's what that was the case. I, I accepted to stop working because uh, for to, to not killing people, <laughs> so, other people. Christelle, you went to work. You were doing a presentation. You lost your vision. You couldn't hear, and you fell. So basically, mm -hmm. you couldn't see. You couldn't hear, and your legs gave out, and you fell. Then you were driving, and it was so bad that you thought you would have hit people and killed people because you were just so sick and impaired you couldn't drive and that was those two events together led you to say i can't do this anymore it sounds like that was your that was your crash to say i can't work anymore correct yeah i think it's uh, like a burnout burnout like yes. uh, it's like a sick uh a burnout caused by the sickness but it's like a burnout i i couldn't i couldn't do anymore so this was the 22nd of October 2017, the day uh, the council, you know, the medical council said uh, the climbs, Lyme doctors are charlatans and chronic Lyme doesn't exist. I, I remember that day because it was, it was weird. It was the same day. So and the same so, day you burnt out and crashed yeah. from chronic Lyme disease, yeah. your yeah. government was saying chronic Lyme disease is not yeah. real. Yeah. So I came back house. It's, it's, so I came back house. Uh, so you don't work. Uh, you know, you know why I didn't want. To, I didn't want to stop working because I knew. I absolutely knew in my mind I wouldn't uh, work again. I knew that. So it was. It was scaring. So I wouldn't stop because uh, I didn't know what was behind. Uh, you know, uh, what is in the hole, <laughs> and was the the the, the longer the longer of the hole. You don't know. So it was the day uh, France uh, said chronic Lyme doesn't exist. So as I am uh, uh, an activist, I think uh, uh, I used to I used to volunteer uh, in an ONG for uh, women's rights at the UN uh, before uh, Lyme disease. So I am an activist in the soul, in the mind. So uh, that day I decided to do something. I didn't know exactly what. I had to, to think about it and I, it was so difficult for me to think, but uh, I was lucky because I had my husband with me. Uh, so uh, we thought together uh, what could be done uh, for my doctor, for, ex for instance, uh, to, to protect her, to protect the other guys uh, who were heroes, uh, to get healing people uh, and being attacked by the government. You know, in France, there were uh, 
there were 100 in 2016. Uh, you know how many are there today? I think there are 10 doctors uh, treating Lyme disease. They retired or they've been, uh, they have been suspended or they've been uh, they're frightened, they've been scared by the, the, the menace, you know. So I think 10 of them uh, treat Lyme disease. So you went from hundreds of doctors that specialized in Lyme and treated Lyme disease to maybe 10 all throughout France because of the government's declaration that chronic Lyme isn't real and doctors were afraid to treat it, even though many know it is real. You now use this opportunity when you are no longer able to work to start to help influence change in France to bring awareness and education and correct this problem with your government, right? Now, Rich is going to jump in after this question and talk to you about the work you're doing with your husband and Crony Lime and everything else to, you know, do this groundbreaking, amazing work you're doing that we are just so happy that you did over there in France. And I can't tell you, that's how we met you, right? I mean, through Laura Arnal, and now we met you, Cristal. So we can't thank you enough for all the work that you're doing. But I just want to ask you before Rich picks up, when you did decide to stop working, what have you done with your health from a treatment standpoint since then? Because it's been about one or two years, right, since it's happened. What have you done health-wise to treat? Are you just doing the antibiotics for one month every year on and off? Are you doing anything else to try to improve your health? Just give us an idea of what you're doing in that regard from a treatment side. And then Rich is going to jump in and talk to you about chronic Lyme and all the things you're doing to give back and help the community. Uh, I took so many medicines. I'm always in treatment. On treatment, uh, I'm not cured uh, nowadays, so I'm I'm still sick. Uh, so I took uh, a lot of malaron. Uh, you know, I tried to be to be healed by Dr. Cameron uh, with Laura. Uh, the problem is that uh, I. Uh, I went with him uh, almost a year and my daughter too, because I didn't precise, but my daughter is sick uh, since, the, since she was born. Um, certainly Lyme disease or so on. Uh, so we went to Dr. Cameron, uh, but the problem is uh, my daughter and I uh, took, uh, took so many antibiotics that now we can't bear antibiotics more. Uh, my my girl has a uh, clostridium, you know, difficile. Uh, it's a very bad bacteria uh, in the in the guts uh, that you got with too many too, too much antibiotics, too many antibiotics. So the problem is uh, today um, the IV rosefin. The last time I uh, I got IV rosefin, it was uh, last year. Uh, because I made, uh, I had an hemiplegia in um, in uh, May uh, May 2020, uh, you know, and uh, during the lockdown, uh, and uh, I didn't recover. Uh, I have a cane uh, for walking, uh, and my 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 left arm is uh, is paralyzed, you know, since the and uh, uh, the IV rosefine doesn't. Doesn't improve that much now, and uh, my guts are too too bad to 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 get antibiotics. So I uh, I turned myself to Chinese medicine, uh, which I love uh, so much. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, now I do a lot of Chinese medicine every month. 
uh, with acupuncture uh, with uh, Chinese herbs. I, uh, I take Chinese herbs uh, every day. Um, and I do Twina massage. I don't know if you know Twina massage. It's a Chinese, uh, a traditional Chinese uh, massage, uh, which is very interesting because uh, it made uh, the fluids uh, run all over your body again, you know. Um, it's very interesting. And I do take uh, a lot of supplements, uh, vitamin C, D, uh, zinc, magnesium, NAC, NAC, I don't know how to say it, uh, probiotics and so on. I took... I take so many things, uh, and uh, and I take too um, an anti-calcium uh, channel blocker uh, for my blood vessels uh, because I uh, I see a, a neurologist, uh, another one, not the one uh, at the hospital, <laughs> and some uh, antiplatelet aggregative aggregator. So I do a lot of things to be uh, just like the the way I am today. So. Um, now that you're on the maintenance phase of your health program, you're also doing some great work, uh, advocacy work. And I think the, you know, the, the really powerful element of your story is that for 20 years you were sick and getting very sick and, um, and you came in contact with a number of incompetent doctors and nothing happened to them. You finally get a diagnosis. You're treated by treated by a competent doctor, and now that doctor is being threatened by the government, and and her license is being threatened by the government because she's doing competent work, right? Which is what what inspired you and your husband to begin begin Kranilak. So talk yeah. to us about the kind of work that you're doing now that you're at in this superhero phase of your of your existence, where you're taking the training that you had in college which was in government and politics. You're taking your, your, your work experience when you worked in government for, for several decades, where you were a leader of, of uh, and a supervisor of hundreds of people, to now using your experience and your training and your aptitude to protect doctors who are now treating people with Lyme disease in France. Yes, um, I used, I think, an uh, overall expression uh, because uh, even if I was very sick, uh, I had learned, I had learned to to speak, uh, to be a speaker. Uh, so this is really important uh, to convince politics, you know, to convince politicians. Sorry. Uh, so I think this is the the, the thing. Uh, that uh, motivated me uh, because I was seeing all the patients, uh, they were sick and not really able to defend themselves, uh, you know. So uh, what we did uh, with Bertrand uh, and that doctor, because she became a friend and she is in Chronilein, she is our doctor and there is uh, other people too. And uh, we went to the senator, to the senate, you know? The Senate, yes. Senate, yeah, in Paris. Uh, I didn't remember how we got there, but uh, I think it's because we, we knew, uh, because as you said, I learned uh, in politics uh, how, to, how to do network, how to go to the people. Uh, maybe we, we sent an email. I, I don't remember, uh, but uh, we, we knew how to write and to speak. Uh, and I think it, it, this was the, the um, it was um, 
the, the, the great thing to go there. All right, so, you, so you testified about Lyme disease before the Senate in, um, yeah. in, in, in Paris. Uh, and and how, how were you received there? We, we saw on Instagram that some of your testimony was, was put up. And it uh, unfortunately, I don't speak French, but it seemed like it was very powerful and very passionate the way you were, you were advocating for, um, for Lyme disease patients. So talk about what that experience was like and how you were received by the senators who you were testifying before. Uh, it was very good reception. Uh, they were highly motivated because, uh, you know, uh, all the all the people uh, would uh, would tell them after uh, shows and uh, speaking, uh, you know, I'm sick, do something for me. But uh, the problem uh, is that the senators didn't uh, understand the problem. You know, when you don't uh, get Lyme disease, when you don't uh, know anything about Lyme disease, you don't understand the problem. Uh, you've got diabetes, uh, so you go to a hospital and they treat you. Uh, well, you're not cured, but that's another thing. But <laughs> that's another point, problem. But uh, there is no problem. You go to the hospital. So it's very difficult to people and uh, uh, almost uh, politicians to understand what is going on. What's the problem? Uh, why the doctors uh, wouldn't cure, uh, wouldn't treat uh, patients. So we had um, several goals uh, going there. Uh, explain the problem, uh, explain with simple words uh, in order uh, to make them understand the problem. Uh, and we wanted to, to build some, uh, uh, like a kit, you know, some uh, solutions um, uh, to 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 give to them, uh, you know, you could you could do that. You could do that uh, because all the sick people, the patients, say it's horrible. I'm sick. Nobody uh, cures me. Nobody treats me. But what could we do? And that's the question of the politician. What can I do for you? Tell me. So if you haven't anything to tell to to tell them, uh, it's it's no use to 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 go and see them. You know. Right. And, and of course, they had to understand the role they were playing in attacking doctors and preventing doctors from diagnosing you, which, of course, had the impact that you had described earlier, where you started to doubt, doubt yourself whether or not you were really sick because you were told by your doctors that you weren't sick. And because your doctors were not allowed to tell you that you were sick, it became this it became this sort of, um, you know, very unhealthy emotional experience for you, all driven by the politics, the, the politics and the, and the politicization of Lyme disease. And that's why it was important for you to go to that source and, and, and put them on notice that they were actually hurting people because of their policies. Yeah, that's exactly that. Uh, giving them tools to act. That's, that, that, and that's the, that's the aim of a crony line uh, because nobody gives them tools. So what could be done? So we thought about uh, we thought about it very very strongly uh, to write. Uh, so we wrote uh, a white a white book. I don't know if you call that uh, white paper English. here in the US. Yes, white paper. All right. So a white paper uh, with so many pages <laughs> to to explain what could be done with proposition A, proposition B, proposition C. You know something. Um, something in the codes because uh, patients don't have the codes to talk to politicians and that's the only thing uh, we were uh, little we were 
three or four people, but we thought we could just uh, add this uh, add, uh, with this little competence uh, to, to, to explain them uh, with the codes, knowing uh, what could be done. Because when you go to see a politician, what can he do for you? Uh, make a law. So which law? Uh, what could you what could you put into the law? That that's the thing. So that's the work we we've done uh, during the five uh, past years, and we went at the uh, national assembly too uh, several times to be auditioned uh, by the politicians. It's a very uh, good thing because they saw us and they saw me. Uh, I didn't want to be seen. <laughs> that wasn't the, the. But when I go now with my cane, uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm disabled. It's complicated for me to, to walk. And uh, it's something because they see me and then I, I sit down and I speak and I explain the things. And it's clear for them. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to see the, the patient uh, to be, you have to, to speak uh, into the heart of people. So and, they, and they have to have an image of, 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 the, of the people who are being hurt by the policies that they're establishing. Now, let's talk about the second piece of your work, because you're doing fantastic work with identifying the problems that the government is creating for people who are sick and the challenges that they're facing. And you saw that on your journey, but you saw another thing on your journey. And the other thing that you saw on your journey was that you were not being empowered by your doctors. In fact, in 2014, despite having definitive proof that you were in fact suffering from neural Lyme, you were not given that information until two years later when you saw another doctor. In order to be able to deal with that issue and empowering patients, you connected with the, with the brilliant Lauren Almel and you are working with her with a uh, patient empowerment organization. So talk to us about Preface, the patient resource facilitator Europe and the work that you and Lauren are doing together to uh, empower patients so that the problem that you had in 2014 would not repeat itself in your, in your country. And that's why I, I uh, told to the hospital, don't do that to people again. Uh, because uh, I'm resilient, but I, uh, everybody, uh, uh, not all the people are resilient. And uh, even if you are, uh, you don't deserve that. Uh, so uh, when I went to the uh, National Assembly, uh, maybe the, the, the video you, you could see on uh, Cronyline Instagram, yes. I, re I realized one thing, um, they wanted to hear patient. Uh, because all the people who were uh, at this audition, uh, I, I was the only patient. Because uh, all, the, all the other patients are unable to speak, just as I said. So I realized they wanted to hear me uh, with my experience. Because it was uh, speaking to the heart, uh, just like uh, I said. And when you are a politician, uh, politician you want to do something uh, which is for you know uh, to 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 be to be useful <laughs> i think so i realized that and i um, i decided to uh, to do a diploma uh, at the sorbonne university of medicine um, uh, of the uh, therapeutic uh, education uh, of patient uh, to become an expert patient uh, okay so let's let's pause that for a second so you went back to the top university in france and you decided that you were going to uh, you were going to get an additional degree, more education, so that you could learn 
how to be a uh, a patient advocate. Mm. I forgot to tell that I uh, I did another diploma uh, to be a naturopath. Uh, uh, and okay, so a naturopath and a patient advocate. So you're yeah. you're you're going you're going back and and really um, really. Uh, um, getting yourself ready for the next phase of your of your life yeah and to get resources uh because how to treat yourself how to uh, cure yourself and uh, how to understand uh understand the the, uh, the body the disease uh, uh the condition of life condition to uh it was important for me so uh I went to, 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 to the Sorbonne and uh, it, was, uh, well, it was difficult for me, uh, I, must, I must say it, uh, to go well, disabled, uh, to you, go... You, you, went to, you, went to the top, you went to the top school in France. It's like going to Harvard in the US, right? You went to Sorbonne, yeah. which is a, a, yeah. a, a, an unbelievable accomplishment for anyone, especially someone who's managing a disease like Lyme disease. That's, that's awesome. But I wanted to go to the heart, you know, because uh, there is a huge uh, woman uh, at, the, at the head of uh, the Sorbonne University of Medicine uh, uh, for the patient. And she is uh, incredible. She worked with AIDS uh, in the 80s. And I wanted to go there and to be with her and uh, to be in the heart of that. Uh, you know, when you decided, when you decide to do something, I want to, to do it uh, the best uh, because uh, it's a lot of energy. So I wanted to go there. And it was very, very interesting. And I met Laura uh, because I, uh, I, uh, I discovered uh, her book and discovered that we had uh, so similar uh, roads uh, with the RV and Connecticut and so on. Yes, yes. You, you and Laura had very parallel journeys. Yeah, and uh, we were exactly the same. Uh, when we work together, uh, we are so uh, excited. It's so uh, precise. Uh, we go quickly, and uh, we agree on the on the way to do things. And it's very, very uh, interesting, funny, and uh, very friendly. So uh, we decided to to launch to co-create. Uh, uh, preface, preface, uh, with uh, five uh, expert patients. We're we're six now, and uh, because we wanted to share uh, that energy, to share the goals uh, we had, and um, to facilitate uh, the care partnership in France, and uh, with the the little goal to improve health system, healthcare system. Uh, I know it's pretentious maybe but i think uh you don't need to be uh 50 to do something i i saw that with crony line you, you you need to be two three four people highly motivated and having uh, the same goal you know if you have one goal you go uh, and you and you you manage to do it that's the that's the thing i learned uh, in my career you know you don't need to be uh numerous people just be yourself and just go and that's what you're doing so you're running downhill and you're advocating advocating for the doctors who want to do the good work in france you're advocating for the three hundred thousand people who are invisible in the french medical system the sixty thousand people who are being diagnosed every year and and in some cases unfortunately 
Um, you know, you're advocating for people who can't speak for themselves anymore. I saw you put up a very powerful post on Instagram about the young woman who had actually committed suicide. Mm. Um, the tw poor 22 year old kid who, uh, unfortunately, uh, was in so much pain that, 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 um, you know, that, you know, took her life because of, mm. uh, because of this. And it was important, of course, for everyone to know that this is a disease that must be, uh, must be, um, um, uh, studied further and there must be more treatment available to people or we're going to find more and more young people uh, and and older people, um, you know, making making uh, that you know terrible choice. We were devastated by this news. Uh, we have uh, so many suicides uh, in France too and in Europe. And uh, last year, I um, my first patient uh, in naturopathy uh, was a woman uh, with Lyme. So I decided to go with her and. Um, she she had been uh, uh, bitten by a tick in England, and then two months later she has she had uh, twenty five uh, how do you say bee uh, bee bites uh, bee stings yeah twenty five so she uh, she made uh, an anaphylactic anaphylactic shock and uh, and then uh, she declined uh, months after months it was uh, SLA syndrome of Charcot. You know, uh, so it was terrible. And then uh, she 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 asked for euthanasia in Belgium. You know, end of life. I'm sorry. So I came with her and I uh, accompanied uh, her uh, until the end. So uh, I'm always devastated uh, when people uh, do that. She didn't have choice because it was ended for her but for uh, every teenager uh, my girl uh, thought about uh, suicide too so so I uh, that's why I think I'm uh, super active uh, on this on the topic because uh, I was very lucky to meet uh, my husband uh, who saved my life and my doctor uh, and it was really the, the right doctor because she's wonderful she she was very um she was very careful with me uh and became such a friend so i know all the patients don't have the, this kind of luck you know so you're you're you know i i don't believe in luck i think that i think everything happens because it's supposed to happen and i think it, it was supposed to happen that you were you were you were um put in connection with somebody who could help you to take the steps that you needed to take in order to be able to recover enough so that you can now advocate for everyone else, both on the on the macro with the governmental level and then on the micro on the patient level with the great work that you and Laura are now doing. So let me ask you the final question because you've been very kind um, with your time and uh, and um, you know I I was concerned when we first started talking about how long you'd be able to endure mm -hmm. because you thought maybe you only had an hour and I just want you to know you've been with us now almost two hours. So you're doing fantastic. So thank you for, uh, you know, for having the endurance that you have and, and being willing to share so beautifully the way you've been sharing your story. But I'm going to ask you the final question we ask everybody on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Uh, and this is something you have experience with after having been bitten by ticks on several occasions prior to um, going on this journey. If God forbid, um, your daughter uh, came into the room after the podcast and she had a tick biting her on her arm. What would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't be reinfected 
and have to go through a more challenging Lyme disease journey? Uh, to avoid ticks, uh, that's it. That's why what you want to, to say. Uh, I think that's not the primary problem, the, 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 the essential issue. I think you have to... Um, I think you you have to to have a good uh, life condition. You have to eat uh, well. You have to sleep well. You have to take care of your immune system. You have to take take care of yourself when you have um, an emotional shock uh, when somebody dies, when uh, you lose your you lose your job or something. You have to be very careful with you because uh, it's the moment your immune system goes down. And uh, nobody says that. Uh, and um, believe in yourself because you know your body well uh, and better than, than the doctors. And uh, don't believe the bad news uh, because um, I see all the patients taking the bad news for granted, you know? And um, the first hemiplegia I, I made, uh, I visualized uh, myself doing uh, kayak, you know? Up, 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 and I was sure I would, I would, uh, I would uh, walk again, and I'm sure I would walk again one day. So I think uh, a diagnosis is not a holy thing. You don't take it for granted. You have to, you have to believe in yourself and uh, and uh, make uh, attention to your uh, life condition. Well, here at Sick Boot Campaign, thank you enough for the great work that you're doing with all of the organizations that you're working with and all the advocacy work. We are, we are huge fans of Crony Lime and the great work you're doing there and, and huge fans of the work that you and Laura Arnell are doing with uh, Preface. So thank you so much for all the great work that you're doing in advocating for folks in the Lyme community. Thanks uh, for inviting me and for the, all the work you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to your Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Christelle Dumas-Gonet. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Crony Lime and Christella, please visit her Instagram page at Crony Lime. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view your blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you are kind enough to leave us. Thank you, as always, for listening.